ask. Hi, guys. I am always like, Lord, how do you want me to start? What do you want me to open with? And then worship starts. And it's like, oh, okay. So are you guys well-fed at your church? Pretty much like, do you guys know a little bit of Bible stuff? Yeah, awesome. So are you guys familiar with, have you ever read Genesis? Awesome, right? So are you familiar with Joseph? So Joseph is this kid probably around your age. And God had a call on Joseph's life, so much so that he gave Joseph dreams, right? So Joseph is like, oh, this is so cool. Let me tell my brothers. Let me tell my dad. And so Joseph is like, basically explaining, major paraphrase, um, hey, bros, like, God has a call in my life, and, like, you know, I'm going to be in a ruler position, kind of, not like a ruler, but a woo, ruler. Um, and then his brothers got jealous of that, so they sold Joseph into slavery. Joseph, I mean, that kind of stinks, right? He's separated from his family now in a place that he doesn't know, um, but then God elevates Joseph and he's in like this, kind of like the, the ruler of the land in his house. And then this ruler, kind of his wife lies about Joseph and she's like, you know, hey, Joseph, when he was coming over taking care of the house, he was kind of trying to put the moves on me. And, and so they throw Joseph into jail and then through some other circumstances, Joseph comes out of jail and he's back in a, he's in a position of authority now, like the second in command kind of, but he still doesn't have his family with him, right? And so uh, Joseph tells this ruler that there's going to be like some, some gnarly stuff happening, like they're going to run out of food and all that stuff. And so um, Joseph's family, Joseph's dad was Jacob. And uh, Jacob had, Israel, had 12 sons, Joseph being one of them. And anyways, so Joseph's brothers, unbeknownst to them, came and asked permission from Joseph to get some help, like, like food stamps kind of, right? And so they do all that and come to find out through a bunch of other circumstances, um, Joseph's brothers find out that this guy that's been helping them is their brother Joseph that they sold into slavery years before. So they were all nervous, and Joseph's like, no, get dad, bring everybody, come and live in the land of Egypt. You know, the, the ruler here, the guy above me, is going to give you some really awesome land to shepherd in and stuff, and all's going to be good. But then dad dies, right? And so now Joseph's brothers are like, oh, man, dad's dad. You think Joseph's going to, like, kill us? And when Joseph finds out that that's what their heart was, this is what Joseph said. Um... I'll just start in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter. This is like the last thing we hear in Genesis. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil we did to him. Understandable that they thought that, right? So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, hey, before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants, which is what 
God gave Joseph years before in that dream that he gave him, said that this was going to happen. Verse 19, then Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for am I in the place of God? And we just sang this, verse 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is to this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. So not that God wants evil or brings evil into our lives, but when these, because there's some really evil things that happen to people. There's been some really bad things that have happened to me. But God is in the midst of everything. Not that he wants evil to happen, but God is everywhere. Psalm 139 tells us there's no way we can, no place that we can flee from God's presence. So when this evil takes place, God can take us and use us and turn these evil things that have happened to us, turn it around for good and for his glory. And that's what God has done with me. You're going to hear me share my story and I'll, I'm not even going to really get into some, some of the deep nitty gritty stuff. But there was some like pretty bad things that happened to me when I was little. And then in light of that, I felt so horrible about myself that I... I did bad things to myself, but I finally became his. And there is evil in the world. And if you don't turn to the Lord and trust in the Lord and surrender everything to the Lord, you're handling all that evil on your own. And I will tell you this, I don't care who you are, you're not strong enough to handle the evil that comes against us because the evil comes from Satan who used to be an angel of God, a beautiful angel with God, but he wanted to put himself in the, in the same realm of God in the same stature of God and even be like a God or a God himself. And so God had to cast him down. That's a, that's a, uh, and even then the Lord says that he's given Satan a, a time to kind of have some control over this place that we live. Satan even tried to tempt Jesus after Jesus was baptized. So if we think we can handle stuff on our own without turning to the Lord, you're going to find yourself probably anxious, depressed, and worn out. So I don't know if anything that I share is going to uh, touch you guys in a sense of like, yeah, I, I kind of, man, I know what that feels like. Or even if you don't, please, my encouragement to you is, is turn to the Lord in prayer, in your own private time. But you have people at your, your church who love you, who are youth leaders that are like, hey, let's go take a two-hour, almost three-hour drive to go and do this. I'm going to come with you. I'm not going to be with my family tonight because I want to be with you, and I'm going to stay the weekend because you guys matter so much. Whether you go to this church or a different church, there's people in your lives here that care about you. So let them walk alongside you in, in all things. And so... Um, it also says in, in Revelation, because I'm going to share my testimony tonight, and then um, hopefully, we'll, well, we will have a time of Q&A, so hopefully you guys will be 
uh, willing to participate in that because not every church gets an opportunity to come in and talk about LGBT plus stuff. But this church is opening its door so we can talk about it because you're probably not, I mean, if you go to what a Christian school or a public school, all the kids are talking about it in school, but then you come home and your parents probably either don't know they should or don't know how, or maybe, maybe they are, I don't know. So now is your opportunity to ask whatever question you want when, when, uh, after I share my testimony. So if you think of something, write it down or you know, remember it so we can talk about it during the time of Q&A. And I will let you know, I'm raw, I'm real, I'm transparent, and I'm here to serve you. So don't hold back. Be um, kind in the way you ask the question, but don't feel like it's too personal or like, I can't really ask Patty that. I'm here. I will lay my whole life open for you and, and share and answer however I can, even if it's personal stuff. So um, with that, let's get into my personal stuff. So um, when I was little, my first memories that I had were me being a little boy hanging out with the other little boys in my neighborhood. I thought I was just like them. See, when I was, you're, well, younger than you, but when I was little, um, this, this wasn't my neighborhood. <laughs> this is your neighborhood. So you have like three billion or whatever neighbors. My neighborhood, because there wasn't this, was the kids that actually lived on the same street or the same block as me. And so for me, it was all boys and me, which was perfect for me because I literally thought that I was a boy. Not in a tomboy kind of way. I literally, like every thought that went through my head, I thought I was just like my best friend Johnny and then my other buds, Brian and Billy. And so I don't know what age it was that I started to recognize that I was actually a girl or at least had a girl body, but I think it's when I started understanding language. When I started recognizing that, that we'll just take Johnny. Johnny was being called he and him and boy and brother and son, and I was being called she and her and daughter and, and sister. And so that was odd to me. So I, I, I started talking to my mom and dad about it. I'm like, wait, I'm a boy just like they are. Obviously, look, I do. I walk the same, talk the same, look the same. I'm better at uh, football and uh, baseball and everything than they are. Obviously, I'm a boy. And my parents really didn't know what to do about that because it wasn't, nobody talked about LGBT stuff then. There wasn't even an acronym LGBT. It was LGBT was LGB in the 90s. Or the T didn't come in, until the 90s, but that's neither really here nor there. But all that to say, nobody was really talking about this stuff. So my my parents were like, eh, it's no big deal. She is just a tomboy and she's going to grow out of it. And then I'm getting a little bit older. And then at like eight years old, when, um, like, can I get real with you guys? Yeah. Can I be real, Pastor Dave? Yeah. Okay. So when they kept catching me outside, uh, trying to mimic the boys when it was time to go to the bathroom, and realizing it just wasn't working for me, my mom was like, okay, this, this is crazy. She really doesn't realize she's a girl. She's making a mess of everything. There's something deeper going on here. 
sorry if that was uncomfortable for you, but it's a big deal. So she's like, all right, I'm going to take my daughter to the doctor. So my, at eight years old, my mom took me to the doctor and said, hey, look, my daughter thinks she's a boy. What do I do? And so the doctor's like, oh, you know what? She's fine. A lot of kids go through this. She'll grow out of it someday, and she'll make a fine wife someday. And, uh, you know, come back when it's time for her tetanus shot or whatever. So my mom left that place no more equipped than when she went in. But that doctor didn't know what to do. But what he probably didn't understand is that studies, since then, so many studies have been done because now it's, everything is all LGBT. You guys know what that is, right? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, right? So um, statistics have shown that they have been doing studies for, for quite a few years now that uh, children who pre-puberty, pre-pubescent children who have gender confusion, if you just let them ride it out, don't put them on puberty blockers, don't encourage them or discourage them, just let them ride it out. Over 90% of those kids, when they make it to the other side of puberty, don't have the uh, intense gender confusion that they had prior to puberty. God takes care of it. God knows what to do with our bodies. He gave us, he created our bodies so intricately. There's actually um, not just our chromosomes that show the differences in our, our biological sex, being male and female. There's only over 6,500 differences genetically between men and women in our hair, in our teeth, in our bone structure. So you can go on puberty blockers, you can go on testosterone or estrogen or any of that. You're not gonna change who you are biologically. You're just putting, <laughs> you're putting medicine, so to speak, in your body that's causing, it's wreaking havoc on people's bodies now that we're kind of like on this other side of it. Now they're doing tests to see what these things are doing to body. It's sterilizing. You know, people are getting, they become sterile. Um, they're urinary, they get uh, urinary tract infection. I mean, it's just like wreaking havoc on bodies. And especially women who like go through all this in, in their teen years, maybe your age, when they hit their 20s and they're like 22 and 23, and they realize that they got caught up in this social contagion that's happening. They're miserable. They have double mastectomy, meaning they had surgery to get both of their breasts removed. They have, even though they're, they've been taking testosterone for a couple or a few years, so even though they don't want a mustache and beard anymore, they are still going to have whiskers on their face. They have a deeper voice that might never come back. And they're like, why in the world did I get caught up in that? on TikTok or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, Twitter or whatever social media place it is. And I'm going to read later to you some of the uh, uh, Twitter posts of people who are detransitioning and begging, begging for help from the medical field and from other uh, sources to get help so that the, young, the younger people, you know, the generation after them won't have to go through the same turmoil that they went through. But, uh, so for me, um, I wasn't one of those kids that kind of grew out of it. I wanted to, I didn't want to have gender confusion. I found out probably, or I experienced probably starting around the age of maybe 11, 
that I liked girls. So that was confusing for me because I'm like, well, I feel like a boy. So boys liking girls is okay. But obviously, I'm a girl. So girls liking curls isn't okay. So I was really super confused. And it wasn't because, like, I didn't say girls shouldn't like girls because I went to church or because God said so, or because the Bible said so, or my pastor or my parents or whatever. Nobody knew that I had same-sex attraction. Nobody knew. I didn't tell anybody. Just in my heart, I knew that it was wrong. So I was like, like, man, you know, trying to, oh, look at her. Like, no, don't look at her, but look at her. No, don't look at her. And so I was already awkward because as, as I was getting a little bit older, like, you know, 11, 12 years old, the boys that I hung out with, Brian and Billy and Johnny, they didn't want to hang out with me anymore. They were getting fun of for being around me because I was so much like a boy. So they dropped me like a hot potato because they were getting ridiculed for being my friend. The girls didn't want to hang out with me because I wasn't enough like them and they would get made fun of if I was hanging out with them. So I was really just isolated and alone and I didn't know what to do with all that pain. So that was just from my, my uh, gender confusion and my sexual attractions. Now to add to that, there was some other circumstances in my life that were causing me pain and confusion as well. In my home where nobody else could hear and nobody else could see. Um, I'm going to share with you some experiences that I experienced in my home, but I need to tell you this. This is not me um, throwing my parents under the bus. This isn't me saying this is my parents' fault. This is, just the ex this, this is just me sharing the experiences I had and how the Lord years later showed me how those experiences affected me. Does that make sense? You guys get what I'm saying? All right, cool. So I would on the daily, I mean on the daily, hear my dad say things to my mom like, you're so stupid, you're worthless, you're stupid, you're crazy, you're so crazy, I'm gonna drop you off at the loony bin and never pick you up. Sometimes he was serious, like, Argh. and sometimes he would laugh, ha, 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 thinking it was funny. But what it did for me is think, and I didn't realize this, but in my little brain and in my little heart, I was receiving these words that I thought, well, either it's true, and my mom really is crazy and nuts and worthless, or it's not true, which makes my dad mean and a liar. Well, those are really two horrible positions or sides to, to choose from to think about, right? That kind of stinks. And so I'm like, well, what I didn't realize that my mind was doing is thinking, okay, well, just in case mom is weak and stupid and crazy and worthless, I don't want to be like her because I want to be strong. I mean, I already feel like a boy. I want to, you know, girls are, are like... Sorry. Transparent. It's the better trans. While other girls were like stuffing tissues into their bras to make them look more like older girls, I wasn't doing that. I was trying to hide myself because I didn't want to be exposed there. And so I had that confusion. I'm now separating myself from my mom because I'm like, I am not going to be like my mom. If I'm like her, I'm weak and I want to be strong and I don't want to look shaped like a girl at all. And so I'm going to be as boyish as I possibly can. 
then, so that was like what I was, what I was thinking of my body and what I was doing with my body. But there was also some other things that were happening to my body that I couldn't control and I couldn't stop. And I was being, um, for a number of years, inappropriately sexually touched. So because of that, I also hated my body for that. And in my mind, trying to make sense of why this was happening so often to me, the only thing I could think of is, well, this must only happen to, to girls. So if I could just somehow become a boy, that offense against myself that someone else is doing, maybe it would stop. So I would... I don't know if you want to call it pray or wish or whatever. I would lay in bed at night and just be like, because I didn't know God, please, 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 just let my boy body come. Just let my boy body come and maybe it'll stop then. And obviously it didn't. So now just more pain stored in my heart and in my body. So I'm, I'm not wanting, I'm like, I'm becoming isolated and alone and confused and, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to talk to. I, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't trust my parents to talk to them. I didn't really, I missed so much school. I'd walk in one door and walk out the other and just not even care, miss school. So I didn't have any teachers that I trusted. I didn't know there was such a thing as called youth group. I mean, I knew nothing. And there was no internet. There was no internet and I'm so thankful that there wasn't internet. Because if I would have gone on Google and typed in, how do you know you're gay? How do you know you're trans? A, a whole mess, a whole plethora, pages of information would have been at my fingertips right there. And 99% of the things that I would have clicked on and read would have been lies. They would have been lies. But those lies would have met my feelings and I would have connected with those lies and felt like I was at home, felt like that was my new neighborhood, that those were my new people. Now, I didn't experience that, but your generation is. And those people aren't your friends. Those people are either confused themselves or they're twisted people that wanna suck you into their twisted life. And it's a dangerous place to be. It's more dangerous for you to spend eight hours on the internet and on social media than it is for you to walk these streets at night. I'm telling you, it really is. And there's also statistics to back that up. I don't know if your parents will be here, but, but whoever the adults are or the people that will be joining us tonight, because you guys, I, don't, I consider you adults, with a youthful glow. I'm gonna tell them tomorrow to watch this show called Childhood 2.0. And it's gonna to explain to them so much stuff about what you guys are experiencing that your parents really have no clue of. And it's time parents get a clue so that they can be there for you guys and they'll understand you when you're talking about your experiences and how you feel sometimes when you've spent maybe too much time on the internet, but you don't wanna to talk to them about it because you're afraid they're just gonna take the internet out of the home. So I'm not going to encourage them to do that either. But, but so again, I was isolated. I was alone. I was in so much pain and so much confusion with no one to talk to. Uh, I had a brother and sister, but they were 15 and 13 years older than me. So they were already out of the house. And so not knowing what to do at 12 years old, 
Anybody here 12? At 12 years old, I was your age, and I started doing drugs and alcohol, like massive amounts of the really heavy-duty drugs. Every single day, I was high and or drunk because I couldn't stand the pain that I was experiencing just in my, in my soul and the confusion that I was experiencing, wanting so bad to change this body that had been so abused to change it into something else. And I figured the only thing I could change it into was that of a boy body. But I, I didn't. I didn't know how to. I wasn't talking to anybody about it. And there wasn't internet for me to look for it, which I'm so thankful for. Yet, I did what I thought the only thing I could do was just partying be high all the time. So I spent years, years wasted, wasted all the time. And so um, because I was uh, younger and didn't have money, um, I went to parties I was like 14, 15 years old, going to parties where people did have money. They did have the cocaine and the mushrooms and the hash and the pot and everything else that I was doing. Acid. I did over 30 hits of acid before I even turned 17 years old. I shouldn't even have a brain that's able to complete a sentence. But God. But God. And so I didn't have money and they had drugs and I, I wanted the drugs. So I allowed there to be an exchange. My body for their drugs. I mean, I was already abused. I already hated myself. So I'm like, why not? I thought I had the upper hand. But you know what that was? When a 14-year-old is exchanging themselves, a 14-year-old girl is exchanging herself to a 25 or a 35-year-old man for drugs, it's sexual abuse. It doesn't matter if I walked into that and said, okay, that is sexual abuse. And I know there's many youth and, and even young adults today because sex has become so twisted that they don't even realize that what is happening or what they're engaged in is actual sexual abuse. It's not boyfriend, girlfriend stuff. And I just want you to know you can turn to the Lord in that. If that has happened to you, don't run from God out of shame. Run to him. Run to him. He loves you. If you have same-sex attraction, run to him. He loves you. You don't have to run to him and say, take it away, take it away, take it away. You can say that but run to him and say, this is, this is what I'm experiencing. What do I do with it? What do I do with this, God? You know what? Someone looked at me in a really creepy way, and now I'm creeped out by people that look by that, like, just like that person. What do I do with that, God? Help me. Don't run from him. Don't hide in shame like Adam and Eve did in the garden. God will cover you. Run to him. So I, would, I was experiencing all that, and then I'm like, you know what? I got to get out of this little small town that I was in, in, in New York. And so my sister, the one that's 15 years older than me, she was living with her family in Florida, so I moved down there to be with her and like, get like a new start. I was 17 years old, graduated high school, somehow, by the grace of God. 17 years old, I'm like, see you later, bye, and I moved out. Moved out on my own, lived with my sister, and kept, just kept, I brought myself with me. Brought myself with me. So here I am in Florida now. 
bugs the size of pterodactyls. A humidity that, like, you get out of the shower and you're melting. It's ridiculous. But, so I'm down there and I'm at a party with her friends, which means they're 15 years older than me as well, partying there, and, and at this party, this, this guy keeps talking to me, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, enough. Like, go talk to somebody else. And then finally he asks me out on a date. And I'm like, yeah, no, thank you. Mm-mm. And so in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm not really attracted to guys. I'd never gone out with anybody. I had been in those encounters at those parties that I was at, exchanging myself, but no one ever saw me. No one said, hey, Patty, you want to go out for dinner? Hey, Patty, you want to go get a burger and a shake? Hey, Patty, you want to go to a movie? Not a single person. So when this guy asked me out on a date, even though I wasn't attracted to him, I was like, whoa, wait, like, like, what do you mean? Like, what do you, all right, what do you want from me? And he's like, no, I just, you seem kind of cool. You want to go out on a date? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. And he kept pressing me and he kept pressing. And they had a pool table there. And he was, you know, he was just like someone that I, I didn't think would be good at pool. And I'm like, just to kind of shut him up, right? I'm like, all right, I'll play in a game of pool because I was really good because I had started going to the bars when I was 14 and 15 years old with a fake ID. So I was really good at pool. And I'm like, all right, I'll tell you what, we'll play one game of pool. If you win, I'll go out with you on a date. If I win, then please don't talk to me anymore tonight. So we shoot pool, and I'm thinking, I got this guy. When I tell you, he whooped my butt. Like, he whooped me. Like, I, th I think he ran the table, actually. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'll go out with you. But then I started thinking, like, it was started like, wow, what's it mean to go out with somebody? I was just shy. Actually, I was like turning 18 years old in a week. So I'm like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to give this a try. Maybe it'll take away my same-sex attraction. Maybe that's what it is. I just need to go on a date with a guy, and the same-sex attraction will go away. Maybe the gender confusion will go away if I just go out with a guy, because I did not want it. I was so alone and isolated in all of that. So I go out on a date with a guy, and as you do, when you meet somebody, you start asking questions. I'm like, everybody was really, like, you were, like, really got a lot of attention at this party. Like, are you somebody? Like, why was everyone so excited to be talking with you? And he's like, well, it's the first time I've seen everyone since I've been released from prison. And I'm like, oh, huh. Should I jump out of the car now or wait till we get to the red light? So, but I was so amazed that someone was paying me attention that I was just like, well, well, what'd you do? And he's like, oh, it was just, you know, I was gone for a few years because of armed robbery. And I'm like, well, that's not too bad. I saw, I've stolen before. I'm like, all right, where are we going for dinner? Because I so wanted someone to just see me, and he seemed to see me. So we dated for a while, and I'm like, well, my, I still have that same-sex attraction, but he is showing me attention. And so when he asked me to marry him, I said yes. It was just shy of a year later. So we got married. I was a 19-year-old, same-sex attracted, gender-confused, drug-addicted, alcoholic teenager. And he was a 27-year-old ex-con just released from prison with no job and living with his grandmother. I'm like, ah, this sounds like a marriage made in heaven. But again... I was trying in my own strength to fix things. 
I'm not Italian. That felt a little Italian, though. Anybody know Italians? Like, up here means one thing. Down here means something else. I don't know the difference, but... Anyways, um, growing up or living in New Jersey for years, you get a lot of Italian. Um, the best pizza and bagels you will ever eat is in New Jersey or New York City, depending on the borough, but it's because of the water. But anyways, I digress. Let me take a sip of water, actually. So, so yeah, I, I ended up marrying this guy. He had no friends and no family at all at the wedding. I'm like... Should have been a signal for me and for my parents, but nobody said anything. And so I'm like, all right, this is it. Marriage is going to be what I need. Marriage will take away the same-sex attraction and the gender confusion. But it didn't. It actually made me more gender confused because I was very jealous of his body. I wanted the body that I saw fully on him. So I say that not to embarrass you or make you uncomfortable. I apologize if it does. But I say that to you to whenever we try things in our own strength, with our own wisdom and our own understanding, it doesn't work. And it could actually make things worse. And then within like two, three weeks of being married, he began to physically abuse me. He began to beat on me. And I'm like gotta be kidding me. I'm trying so hard to be quote unquote normal and this is what I get. So I endured that for as long as I could until I escaped from that marriage and moved from Florida up to New Jersey. And when I moved to New Jersey is when I fully came out. It's when I fully started identifying as gay. At first I said lesbian but that gave me the heebie-jeebies because that means girl. So I started identifying as gay and I just literally turned into the masculine representation of myself, kind of like when I was six and seven and eight years old. So I wore only male clothing, underclothing, outer clothing. Um, I made myself look in the physical as shaped like a boy as I possibly could. And I was younger then and um, had an athletic body. So I, I kind of got away with looking like a guy because I also went back to my old childhood mannerisms, moving like a guy, acting like a guy, speaking. I taught my voice how to be deeper. And so I started identifying as, as, as gay and what now would be kind of like, I don't know, gender non-conformed or non-binary, leaning toward the masculine. Um, but had I been um, that age today, I definitely, I know that I would have started to transition. There just wasn't the opportunity. There was people transitioning back in the 90s, but there wasn't the opportunity to find out more about it and be caught up in this whole mass of other people that are doing it saying, yay, this is great until, you know, five years down the road when the euphoria of it wears off, which happens a lot. That's why the suicide rate for trans people is higher than most other, any identifying people. It's not because they're not getting the acceptance because they are. Everything is LGBT. If you own a company now, no matter how little or how big it is, you have to support the LGBT community, so it's not because they're not getting support. It's because they realize when they transition, 
no matter how many surgeries or how many shots or pills they take, they still are what they are. And now their body is just marred. And so, so when I came out, when I tell you, I just want to share this with you so you know that I wasn't like, oh, oh I'm gay now. When I came out, I was on cloud nine. I felt freedom for the first time in my life. I felt so free. I was finally like, oh, I'm no longer hiding who I felt like I was on the inside. I'm no longer saying no to the guttural desires that I'd had for as long as I could remember. But listen, it's understandable that I felt that way, but just because I felt free doesn't mean I was free. Feelings don't dictate truth. Freedom only comes when you walk in truth. Jesus says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And, and, the, and you will be set free by truth. Even if it's hard to see that truth in the beginning, if you trust in the truth, it will set you free. But I didn't know the truth because nobody ever shared the gospel with me. Because I was the freak kid that nobody wanted to talk to. And so I am loving it. I'm, have, I'm going out. I'm still partying like crazy. So that means one night stands or hookups, all of that. Then I had some relationships, like maybe a couple months, even a year, year or two here and there. And um, eventually it was just like, well, well the hookups just kind of, no matter how much you think, I got this, it's okay, still makes you feel shame. But then the relationships that I was in, you become so emotionally enmeshed when, when you're in a same-sex relationship and you don't even realize how emotionally dependent you are with each other. And so that would happen when I was in these relationships and then when we break up because they were just so chaotic that every time that happened, my heart was being ripped apart. And so again, in my own strength and my own wisdom, trying to figure this out, it's like, oh, it's because I haven't met the one yet. I just really need to meet the one who I will live the rest of my life with. And then I met her in the later 90s. I met her. I was a flight attendant. She was a flight attendant. We had a lot in common. And pretty much right away, we knew this was it. We would spend the rest of our lives together. And so we did. She lived out west. She moved to New Jersey to be with me. We had an apartment together for a couple years. Then we're like, well, let's take the next step in our relationship. Let's buy a home. So we did. We bought a home. We had two dogs and a cat. We had a great life. Our neighbors loved us. Our coworkers loved us. Things were awesome. Still partying like crazy. She didn't party as much as I do. She kept trying to get me to slow down on the cocaine intake. And I'd be like, oh, no, no, yeah, I will, I will. I have it, you know, I'm not doing it. I'm fine. Meanwhile, you know, my nose is like blowing up and I'm just making the noises that somebody does when they're on drugs. So I couldn't lie to her. Plus, I'm like, wait, I love you and I'm lying to you. This is, this kind of stinks. And then we both started thinking like, you know, do you ever think about spiritual things? And I'm like, yeah, I do sometimes. So, you know why we were thinking about spiritual things? Because that's normal. We weren't atheists just because we identified it as, as gay. We just didn't know the true and living God. And so we started reading books. We actually, when, 
we would go to Gay Pride both in both New Jersey and New York City. So the one in New Jersey is kind of like outside at this place called Asbury Park, and, and there would be tables there for different things, and there was always like a spiritual table there. They had every different type of religion and spiritual books, reincarnation, Buddhism, all that stuff. Everything there except Bibles. Nobody wanted a Bible. Because where we did see Bibles were on the outside of Pride Parade, on the parameters where there were people holding up signs that said things like, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, or homosexuals will burn in hell, or God hates fags. So we obviously, personally, or most people at the Pride Parade, didn't want anything to do with this God that Christians seemingly were representing. But what I didn't know is that God was bigger than them and bigger than those signs. And he met me right where I was. And where I was, oh my gosh, it's 10 after 8? How does that happen? Anyway, sorry, squirrel. Um, where I was was in a place of pain. Because as a flight attendant, 9-11 had just happened. Now, my birthday is September 13th, so I usually try to, would try to take my vacation around my birthday so that I would have my birthday off. My girlfriend, who was a flight attendant as well, we lived in New Jersey, so we were based out of Newark Airport, which was one of the airports that the terrorists used for one of the planes. She had been flying, working for like 11, 12, 13 years, something like that, had never, ever, 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 ever in her career as a flight attendant ever called in sick. 9-11 happened on a Tuesday, right? So Tuesday morning, she was supposed to start what's called a three-day trip, which she would be flying for three days. Her first flight out of Newark was Newark, San Francisco, which was one of the routes that they targeted. Monday night, I said, hey, babe, why don't you call in sick for your trip? And just nonchalantly, she's like, okay. She had never called in sick once for 11 or 13 years, whatever it was. So she was off of work and I was off of work when 9-11 happened. And I just remember her screaming. I was upstairs and she's downstairs. She's like, get down here. I'm thinking something happened to one of the dogs or something like that. I run downstairs and she just goes, and she's pointing at the TV as the first plane had just hit one of the towers. And as we're looking at that, I'm like, is it one of those little planes that fly around New York to give tours? She's like, no. She's like, I think it was a United Airlines jet. I saw the tail. And we're like, no. And then all of a sudden, bam, the second plane hits. And we're like, oh. And we knew at that point that our country was being attacked. And they were using our place of work as the weapon. And then the plane went down in Pennsylvania, and then the plane hit the Pentagon. And so we're freaking out, like, is there anybody we know on these flights? We lived where we lived in New Jersey. Have you guys ever heard the term as a crow flies? Like, how far is that? Oh, 15 miles as a crow flies? Which means a straight line. So where we lived, a straight line to where the towers were, were like, 15 miles. Now to drive there, you know, because there was water in between us, we'd have to go like that. So it's a little, but as a crow flies 15 miles from the tower, we watched from our attic. We didn't even have to use the TV. We went and looked and the buildings fell and the smell was in the air. The smell, this smell was in the air for months, months, smelling of this wreckage. It was horrible, horrible smell, wreckage and other stuff. 
So that was devastating to us. We were very scared to get back on an airplane and go to work, but we had to, that was our job. So that was in September. In December, my only brother Larry called me to let me know he had just been diagnosed with lung cancer. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. That's not one of the good cancers. What do I do? So I was in New Jersey. He was in New York still where I grew up. So I was going back and forth to his house to help him out as he, was, he had surgery to get his lung removed. He was getting chemo. His body was just being beaten up with, with just this cancer. So one of the times I went to visit him, he's like, Patty, 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 I have to tell you something. I'm like, what? What's up? I'm like, oh, you cancer free? He's like, no, I got to tell you about Bruce, the guy is across the street. He's been coming over with his Bible and, and reading the Bible to me. And there's these things called the Gospels and they talk about Jesus. And guess what? I believe. And I'm just like, whoa. And I'm thinking, well, okay, that's one of them religions. That's cool because you're probably going to die. And does that mean you're going to heaven, Larry? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to heaven now. I'm going to heaven. Jesus is real. And I'm like, that's awesome. And I was really, really happy for him because I just sensed that he was, didn't have much longer to live. But there was a part of me that was like, whoa, Nellie, wait a second. Does that mean you're going to be criticizing my identity and, and my girlfriend? And he's like, no, no, no. I talked to Bruce about it. And, and I asked Bruce, you know, my sister and her girlfriend say they believe in God, but he left out, uh, they believed in a uh, God, not the God. Um, and I asked him if, if you guys were going to heaven, and, and this is what Bruce said. Bruce said, well, if they truly believe in God, the God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, if they believe in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is dwelling inside of them, and the Holy Spirit will tell them the truth of the way that they're living is wrong, and then they'll surrender that to the Lord, and yes, they will be with the Lord forever in heaven, but... If they don't believe in God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, if they don't believe in Jesus and the work that Jesus did on the cross, then no, they're not going into heaven, but it has absolutely nothing to do with their homosexuality. It has only to do with the fact of whether they believe in Jesus or not. And I was like, oh, I'd never heard that before. All I heard is because I was gay, I was going to hell. And so I was pondering all this in my head. And then as I was holding my brother's hand when he was in the hospital, I actually watched my brother die right in front of me. I was holding his hand and, and I saw my brother those last few months before he died. He always had his Bible with him. Oxygen tank and Bible, which was so not like my brother. But when he died, he died with the Bible right here in my hand, right here holding him. I was just like, so in that, that moment, kind of changed everything for me. I really knew death was real then. 9-11, death was real, but I didn't know anybody personally that died in 9-11. This was the first time I experienced death, and I didn't know what to do with it. And I turned to my girlfriend for help. But when you don't know Jesus Christ, who's the resurrection and the life, how do you comfort somebody when it comes to death? You can't. So I was a mess. But God uses everything, not that he wanted my brother to die, but in light of my brother dying, God used that circumstance to come and minister to my heart. Because now I have all these questions rolling around in my heart, and there was this one big question that I didn't know what to do with. I wish it wasn't in my head. I couldn't get rid of it. It was always there like a tape just playing over and over and over again. 
And so I'm just like, this is crazy. So one day I just woke up, a brand new day. I'm like, all right, what's today going to bring? I just woke up and I looked at my girlfriend and out of my mouth comes these words. Hey, babe, do you ever think the way we're living is wrong? And her eyes got huge. So immediately I'm like, dumbest thing you've ever said. So she looks at me with this huge eyes and she's like, I can't believe you just said that to me. I was literally just getting ready to ask you the same thing. You guys, that is who God in the Holy Spirit is. The spirit of the living God was right there saying, I've been drawing you to myself forever. Now we're going to do it this way. Bam, puts it on both our hearts to say the same thing. And we were like, whoa, what just happened? We didn't have a bad relationship. We were great with each other. She was the only person I'd ever been in relationship with that didn't hurt me. It didn't matter. It didn't matter how good our relationship was. So we got down on our knees and said, God, if you're real, will you show us? And if the way we're living is wrong, show us. That's all we said. I'm like, you know what, my brother, the Bible became very important to my brother. I think we should grab a Bible and find out if it says anything in here about this. And we had one, it was up in our attic, we're fishing through boxes, and we finally found it. And we come downstairs and it's like, mm-hmm. here it is. <laughs> well, what do we do with this? And we're flipping through the pages like it felt holy to us, but we didn't really know what to do with it. And so finally I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Let's read here. And as God would have it, here happened to be Leviticus 18.22, which says, and you shall not lie with a male as you do with a woman. It is an abomination. Now, I want you to notice, I didn't recognize this then, but it says it is an abomination, not they are an abomination. So we were like, we knew something happened, but we didn't know what. So we're talking about it for about a week, and then I'm like, well, that's just talking about men, we're women. See, when I wanted to be a woman for my convenience, then I identified as a woman. I'm like, we're women, so maybe we're all right. She comes home from work and says, hey, I flew with Jody today, and I was asking her if the Bible says anything about women, and she says there's this book called Romans, and we should read chapter one. And so we did, and then when we got to verses 26 and 27, this is what we read. For this reason, now when it says for this reason, it's talking about you know, people are like, God's like, hey, just look around, I'm, I'm everywhere, and stop worshiping yourself, worship me instead, but, well, okay, you're going to worship yourself instead of me? All right, well, for this reason, now this is what's going to happen when you worship self instead of me. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, so that word likewise is bringing these two verses together as one thought or one truth. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And so we were like, all right, that's it. So we're like, all right, we, we, we can't do this on our own. We're going to have to find a church which was really scary for us. Because guess what's in churches? Christians. Yay! The only experience we'd had with Christians were the ones who were holding up those nasty signs. But we wanted God more than we were afraid of what we were going to get inside. So we went. And the third time we went was January 19th, 2003 at Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge. 
Lloyd Pulley was sharing, and Lloyd Pulley is the man that led me in the, in the prayer that made me understand that I now had salvation. A prayer doesn't bring salvation. But as we use our words to surrender and confess Christ, he knows our heart, and that's what I did on January 19th, 2003, with my girlfriend standing right next to me. So we walked into that church as girlfriends, and we left as sisters in Christ, never to be together again, because God said we were his. So in that moment, when I received Christ, I went from deception, or from darkness to light. I was in darkness. I didn't even realize I was walking around in the dark. But when you're not in the light, you're in the dark. So I went from darkness to light, from deception to truth. The truth was that God loved me, and that set me free. Immediately, no more drugs and alcohol that day. And again, we walked in as girlfriends, and we left as sisters in Christ, and both of us were on fire for the Lord and still are. She's a missionary. It's been 19 years. She's a missionary. God has me doing this. So he took what happened to me and what was meant and literal evil, and he turned it around and used it for his good. So I started devouring the word of God. I couldn't get enough of the Bible because I knew God was in here, and I wanted to know about him. I spent too many years not knowing who he was. So I read the whole Bible by June and read the New Testament again by the end of the year. So I was really getting to know God and really getting to know that I could trust him and that he was for me, not against me. And he was for me even with the boundaries that he tells us to live in. He does that because he loves us. Just like if we had a dog. You know, the dogs that have most freedom are the dogs that have a fenced-in yard. They have a boundary, so they can run free. You don't have a fence. You got to knock that pole into the yard and put a chain on them. And I was knocked on a pole and chained, and God took that off and said, live within these boundaries and enjoy my freedom. And I have been ever since. I didn't have a bad life. I didn't come to him because things were so horrible. I had pain. I had death right in front of me. But my life with my, with my job and my girlfriend... I was, I was living a life that people would be like, wow, you get to do a lot of stuff. I was playing professional sports. I was traveling the world with my job. I knew actors. I knew professional sports people. Like I was living the, the heathen dream. <laughs> but nothing compares to my life in Christ. And so after getting saved, it, it, you know, I still brought me into that, but I brought myself into that as a new creation in Christ Jesus when I understood that, like, okay, the same-sex attraction, I, I thought it was an identity. I thought I was born that way. Lord, your word and your Holy Spirit as you're speaking to me and confirming it in your word as I'm getting to know you in the word, obviously I, nor am anyone, born that way. Even all the, the scientists that have been trying to find the gay gene for years and can't find it, Everything says that I, I, nor is anyone born gay, but God, please tell me, where did all this come from? Will you tell me everywhere I've been deceived? Tell me if I wasn't born gay, where'd it come from? And that's when he allowed, now I'm sober for the first time in 24 years. So even being sober, now memories are coming back and feelings are coming back. And the word of God, the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to me. And that's when he began to show me and remind me 
of the trauma I experienced as a child, the confusion I experienced as a child, how I separated from my mom and that wasn't healthy, it was a detriment to my femininity and all this other stuff so that I could be like, oh, that's, that's it. Now it doesn't make all that stuff disappear, but when you understand things, when you have knowledge, you can take that knowledge and ask God to bring you into the wisdom of who he is with the knowledge he gives us. And that's what he's been doing with me still for years. And that's my encouragement to you. Bring everything you're experiencing to the Lord. He sees you, he knows you, he loves you. You have literally never been alone in your life because God is always with you. Psalm 139 tells us there's no place that we can flee from his presence. If we're in the heights of heaven, he is there. If we make our bed in hell, he's even there. There's no place we can flee from God, so stop trying to run from him. If you are, run to him with, with your opposite sex attraction that you've given yourself over to with your same sex attraction that you're experiencing but maybe haven't given yourself over to or you have given yourself over to gender identity sexual identity anger confusion self-injury uh throwing up if when you eat whatever it is give it to him he sees it already meet him in it and lay it all down before him And if you have friends that might identify or be doing drugs, whatever it might be, meet them where they are and just be like, hey man, what's going on with you? You seem kind of sad today. What's up? Oh, this is what you're experiencing. Well, thanks for sharing. Thanks for trusting me enough to share that with me. Can I just pray for you? And then just pray for them. Prayer is the most powerful thing we can do because all of this is a spiritual battle. There's so much going on that we don't even see and know. And, and, and I want you to live your life to the fullest, but any, every generation should be preaching to the next generation, so me to you, that Jesus Christ is real and he's coming back again. And it's soon. And I want you guys to be in him Yes, I want you to be right with him because then that means you're living an abundant life. But even if you're just in him and with him, that's enough. Because I know if you just surrender that to him, he's gonna walk with you and grow you in that relationship. So live your life to the fullest. I don't want you to be like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be gone tomorrow because Jesus is coming. It'll be a good thing if Jesus comes tomorrow. And anything that you're waiting for, like I don't want the Lord to come until I have my first date or until I get married or until I have kids or until I go to college or until I get this job, that's all great. I love that. But whatever you could think of would be the most awesomest thing here on earth, being in his presence is a gazillion times better. You won't miss a thing. You will not miss a thing. So can we, can we still have some Q&A time? All right, St- Stephanie, can you like hook up? Do you guys, you guys okay with what I shared? Was that too heavy? You guys all right? All right, cool, cool. Do you, do you wanna hang out a little? Well, you guys aren't going anywhere. You're staying here all night. We're here all night. Um, so this looks, is like the most comfortable, very thin carpet I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so boys on stripes that go this way, girls on stripes that go this way. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so does anybody have any questions or comments or thoughts or anything? Listen, again, I told Pastor David, no parents 
Because always, every youth group I do, they're like, well, the parents kind of want to sit in to hear what you're saying. It's like, nope. They can go to, if, if there's not a parent session the next day, they can go to my website and listen there. This is for you guys. Not because I want to keep anything from your parents, but I want to make a safe place for you to be able to talk about things that maybe you've never had an opportunity to talk about before in a church atmosphere. So, anybody have a question? And we're just going to, it's being recorded. First off, let me ask you, are you guys okay with your questions being recorded? Yeah? Okay. So, do you mind talking into the mic? Thank you. So, I was wondering, because you were saying um, that once you came to God, you realized that being in a same-sex relationship was pulling you away from him. Do you think it's possible to be a Christian and be transgender or be in a same-sex relationship and still be close to God? I think you can come into your relationship with God being in a same-sex relationship and identifying as transgender. But no matter who you are, when you come into a relationship with God, everything, everything changes. So if you're in a heterosexual relationship and you're sexually active or you're living together and you come to the Lord, that relationship can't continue and still be walking to God in a way that honors him and is beneficial to self. But because, because Jesus laid, and thank you for asking that question, because Jesus laid down his life for us, no one has ever been beaten like a pulp. He was spit on. His beard was torn out. He, they put a crown of thorns that were this big on his head and then whacked his head with sticks. And his back was literally filleted and ripped open and he took beating after beating after beating because he wanted to give us new life in him. He knew what was coming. So right before that happened, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed three times Father, if there's any way, if this cup could pass from me, like God, if there's, Father, if there's any other way we could do this. He was so stressed out from that, he bled, his sweat became blood. And he's like, not my will, but your will, Father. In other words, I know it's got to be done this way. Let's go do this thing. Let's go do this thing. That's how much the God of all creation loves you, loves us, that he would leave heaven, this beauty that we can't even imagine and describe and come down here to be a human like us, experiencing everything in humanity that we experience, yet still having the authority of God. And he's like, I want them more than anything to be in a forever relationship with me. So I'm gonna lay down my life in this brutal, humiliating, naked way up on this cross where all his his, his like effort to just move his legs up to catch a breath before he was suffocating. He did that for us. And what's the first thing he said on the cross? First thing he said is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he did that for us. And what does he tell us? As he came back and he was resurrected from the dead three days later and he came in like 40 days, I think it was, that he hung out with people saying, look, put your hand here, see my scars? It's really me. And he ate with them even as he's walking through walls because he was in a, in a new body. 
And before he left, he's like, hey guys, I'm gonna give you power so you can be witnesses, not go and witness. Acts chapter one, verse eight says, I want you to go and be witnesses of me because I'm going away now. And so he did that for us. And what does he tell us to do? He tells us to lay, lay down our lives, not just for him, but so that others can see this life that we once had, that we laid all of that down to walk in his way for his plans and his purposes and his glory to worship him so that we let who we are point to who he is. And who he is is a God that has a standard and authority and we learn about it in here. And he tells us very clearly in here that Actually, I'm going to read it to you. That if we continue in certain ways, not if we struggle in ways, but if we continue in them, that we won't have any part of him or his eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, or covetous, meaning longing for somebody else's stuff, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. But then verse 11 says this, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of, Lord Je- of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All these things, and I know there's people who are like, oh, the word homosexual was never introduced into the English-speaking Bible until 1946. Well, you know what? The words that were used before that mean the same thing. You can look it up in the Greek and the Hebrew, the Pig Latin, whatever it is. It is what it is, and Paul used this word Just like transgender is a word that we use now that people think, okay, well, that's a real word. Do you guys think transgender is a real word? You know how new that word is? It wasn't a word 100 years ago. Does that make the word not applicable today? No. Paul used this word of men betting together. And it doesn't mean that like princes with, with young kids, but because if you, if you look at the word and you do break it down, it says both parties will not inherit the kingdom of God. And God never says some little kid that's being abused because he was sexually abused isn't gonna enter in the kingdom of God. Uh-uh, that's not who our God is. And if you look at all these... Um, all these uh, things that people do that won't inherit the kingdom of God, none of them are identities. They're not identities, they're behaviors. They're behaviors that need to be changed and there's an indication of that in verse 11 where it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. So can you be gay and, and get saved? Can you be trans and get saved? Absolutely, I was. But God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to give all of that because he knows how real it is. He knows the same-sex attraction is real. He knows the gender confusion is real. But he also knows that that's not what he has for you or you you being whoever it is. And so he wants you to sit at his feet and just ask him, Lord, all right, this is what I have. What do I do with this? 
Can I still be yours, God, and love you and serve you even though I have same-sex attraction and gender confusion? Absolutely. But he's not going to leave you, us, there because he loves us too much. And he knows not, that's not the reality of who we are. So, so if, if someone who's transgender that's like a FTM, so female to male, and they're, they're born, they're given, their given name, not their dead name, their given name might be uh, Rebecca. And then they transition and now they want to be called Randy. And they say they're a Christian and they love God. When they die and stand before God, do you think God's going to say, hey, Randy, welcome into my kingdom? Mm-mm. He's going to say, hey, Rebecca, I've missed you. You didn't lay down your life for me. So these are the two things that we're going to hear. Depart from me, I never knew you. Or hello, welcome into my kingdom. What kind of chance do we want to take? This is the only place we're going to find truth. We're not going to find truth on the internet, you guys. You're not going to find truth scrolling through your phone on TikTok. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? There's people on TikTok that are content creators that just want to have the most subscribers. They don't care if you fall into truth or deception. They're deceived. Since the iPhone came out in 2007, there's been a 3,000. It's probably more now since I last looked. The iPhone came out in 2007. Since then, there's been a 3,000% increase in people that identify as L- youth that identify as LGBT. It's not some biological weapon that was like sprayed over the world. It's a social contagion. COVID got nothing on the social contagion that we're holding in our hands every night. Put your mask on. <laughs> Arm yourselves so you don't catch that sickness. Thanks for asking that I question. question. Okay. Should I wait? Or- uh, does anybody else want to hop on a question, or are you cool with her asking another one? Okay. Um, so if being transgender is a sin, I haven't, like, where is anywhere in the Bible where it says, like, transitioning is a sin? Because it seems like if it was a sin, it would be clearly stated in the Bible that transitioning is a sin. There was no transitioning when the Bible was written. It, it would be like them speaking of electric cars. Like, I mean, not that an electric car is, is sinful, but, but the Bible didn't talk about transitioning because the Bible clearly says in, in the creation account of Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that he created them male and female. So there's no need to talk about transitioning because transitioning's not real. You can get surgery, you can take hormones, but there is no such thing as a male becoming a female and a female becoming a male. So God didn't address it in the sense of thou shall not transition. There was no even thought of it back then. Even the most effeminate man or the most uh, masculine woman wouldn't even think that, okay, we're going to transition and literally start identifying the other way. Was there men that felt like women and women that felt more like men? Absolutely, there's always been. But there's no such thing as transitioning in the Bible. Jesus didn't speak of it because there is no such thing as a transgender person. You can say that you're transgender, but the, rea- the, the, 
the thought of saying it doesn't make it real. Does that help? Kind of. But okay. What, what I meant is like, so what are verses that I could read then about men who feel they are women or women who feel they are men? Um, there aren't any indications of men that feel like women and women that feel like men in the Bible. But if you read the Bible, I have, are you going to be here tomorrow? Um, no. Okay. Um, I have, can I share, can I share something with you later to have you go on? Because I, I have a whole session that's called gender, my decision or God's intention. And it has all those verses in there that you can write down, um, but I can't off, there's like about 20 verses, but I can't off the top of my head think of them. But can I hook you up with showing that where that is on my website? Will you listen? For real, for real? Okay. All right, thanks. I'm up here sweating like a beast and you're in that hot little thing with your hood up. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. So why does it seem like um, many people are, um, what was that word? LGBT, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender? Yeah. So what was your question? I couldn't hear the first part, sorry. Okay. So why does it seem like like many people are like that? Um, well, for older people, um, there's a lot of commonalities for people that are like, say, millennials and older, right? So like, say, like 30-year-olds and older, there's a lot of commonalities in people that identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, more lesbian, gay, and bisexual. It was before all the other letters were added. Uh, generally, there's a lot of commonalities that people have um, with uh, emotional, uh, uh, emotional trauma, sexual trauma, physical trauma. Um, a, a lot of, com- like over, um, again, studies that have been done, I think the study was done like in 1999 or something. Um, a, wo- a woman, um, she was a counselor and she counseled a lot of lesbians. And so like say 300 lesbians that she counseled out of the lesbians, she asked how many of them had been emotionally, physically, or sexually abused. And it was about 87% of them had been abused in one way or another. So that's one of the commonalities. It's in the 70% for, for guys, but the cornerstone root issue of everyone that I've ever experienced that like thousands of different ways, the cornerstone root issue that everything else is built up on is rejection, whether it's real or perceived rejection. And when you feel rejected, you feel that so deep in your soul. And when you get rejection, you want to be recognized. And so um, it, it, the emotional, physical, and sexual abuse is such a Man, it's, it really, it, it does a number on people. And so uh, oftentimes it will turn like so many women who were abused by men pro- swear they can't stand men and they find their comfort and peace in, in women, which is understandable. And then young like boys that have been especially sexually molested are generally molested by men. And because boys and girls are different, these boys, instead of being disgusted by men, 
are stirred up inside by men and they go and they start looking for, because a man's body responds differently even to trauma. Like if you've experienced sexual trauma and your body responded to that trauma, like in a way like, like, wait, this is horrible, but my body just responded as if it feels good. Like, wait, what's, that's so crazy what's happening. And sometimes that happens to, to boys, especially if they're abused during puberty. And so then that happens and it's like, wait, that was horrible and felt disgusting, but I responded and it felt good. And then next thing they know, they're looking for somewhat of that experience again. So there's a lot of trauma. So, so that's older generation. And like I was saying earlier, the younger generation, younger people are always, Lord, help me to word this. There's (laughs) seasons of what younger people have gone through. Like in the 60s and 70s, right? It was a lot of drugs and sex, like sexual revolution, hippies. So everybody had long hair. Everyone was wearing bell-bottom jeans and everyone was playing guitar. Then it moved into the 80s and everyone was like, make money, make money, make money. And everybody was doing coke, right? And then it's into the 90s and it's like emo, right? We're listening to Nirvana and everyone's wearing grunge and flannels. And then that didn't work. Okay, I'm only going to wear black and black makeup. And it's like, okay, well, um, I don't like my body image. So I'm going to anorexia or bulimia. And, And I'm not lightening any of those things, but it's always something. So now we don't really have necessarily emos. And there's not as many people experiencing bulimia and anorexia. Now what's happening is like, well, I don't like my body. I don't like the person of who I am. So I'm just going to transition. I can, you know what? I don't like myself as a girl. Having a period really stinks. Well, you know what? I'll just be a boy. And I don't have to deal with that anymore. Oh, look, I'm a girl and my body's developing. And if my body develops too fast, the boys are looking at me and making sexual comments to me. And if I'm not developing fast enough, the girls are making fun of me because I haven't had my period yet or my boobs aren't big enough. Can't win for losing. So what does a girl do? Like, well, you know what? I might be better off as a boy. I'm going to look it up. Oh, look. 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 Yep, that's me. I think I need to go to a gender clinic. And you go to a gender clinic and you have one appointment at the gender clinic and the doctor's like, yeah, you're trans. Here's some, here's some shots. Oh, you've been on testosterone as a young girl. You've been on testosterone for a year and it's, and it's, you know, it's wreaking havoc on your body and now you want a double mastectomy? Okay, I'll schedule you for that appointment when you want it. And in light of that, let me read some of these, some of these things to, to you. Are we still okay, Pastor David, on time? Okay. Okay. Are there parents out there like freaking? Oh, oh cool. All right. Here till midnight. Oh, perfect. Awesome. Awesome. So let me let me just read some of them. now these are from women that are in their early twenties that transitioned when they were in their teens. Should we call are you guys cool with still talking or like we is there too much talk? You guys have been sitting for a while. Be cool if I just read a couple things. I'm here for you, so I don't want to like bore you or t- okay. So this these are are women that didn't um, didn't uh, go back to their God given cisgender gender identity because they're Christians. They did it because they realized they got swept up in the social contagion. So I'm just going to read a, t- a couple things to you. This is from a girl named Athena. 
Transition doesn't fix anything. It's not even a Band-Aid half the time. It's a temporary reinforced delusion that you can be made another human being entirely. It's simply not possible. I I wish it were because I'd still choose to be someone else. But now I'm stuck with the weight of having to come to terms with my identity, but also the damage that was done through transition. I already hated myself, and now it's like a thousand times worse. Again, these are like 21, 20, 20, 21, 22-year-olds that transitioned as teenagers. I think part of the reason transition became so easy for me was because I've always been desperate to be anyone but me, to look like anything but how I look. The idea that I could just become an entirely different gender seemed like a dream come true. Um... Mm. That's too much for young people. Um, I really, and this is a whole different woman named Watson. I really wish my gender clinic, I really wish my gender clinic had given me conversion therapy. If they had actually taken the time to question and challenge me back then, Maybe I wouldn't have to live the rest of my life as I am, a young woman with a beard, massive chest scars, and bladder problems. And it just, I have, it's on and on and on with with different stories like that. So these were teenagers that, as you read more of their stories, because they're speaking out against it now. And I'm so thankful that there's young people doing that. They're speaking out against how easy it is to transition medically. Um, these were teenagers that admit they got caught up with, with the pain that they were experiencing was real, as you heard, not wanting to be with themselves, not happy with the way they looked or felt, and then it's like, oh, I can transition. Or they've met somebody online that says, hey, maybe you're really a guy. And then they got caught up in that one click after another, after another, one scroll, 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 and then they're like, that started when they were 14, 15, 16, and then they're 20, and they're like, what? in the world have I done? So, I don't know if that answers your question. Does anybody else have any questions? Is anybody parents coming tomorrow? I have a question. Yeah, yeah. So, I know um, alcoholism and, and certain things, You even if you're not doing it, some people still, like an alcoholic would say, if you hadn't had a drink in 20 years, my name is John and I'm an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So, do you ever... Um, um, think about those times or do you ever like want to go back to that or is it today do it just pop in your mind and you want to live what you was most comfortable with do you understand her question okay so great question thanks Stephanie's one of the youth leaders here at Irmo um, and so all of that we'll, we'll just take the, the drugs and, and alcohol um you know, like I said, when I got saved, it was just instantly gone. I never touched any drug or alcohol again after that. But, and I was head over heels for Jesus. I thought I would never experience anything bad ever again. People are like talking about their trials. I'm like, what trials? And then like out of the blue, like sometimes I'd be driving down the street and I'd see a sign, this flashy neon sign, Miller Light, And I'm like, oh man. I want a beer so bad right now, like I could taste it. 
And then there would be other times on my way to church and I could feel the taste of cocaine dripping down the back of my throat. And I'm like, what in the world? And so I just learned, I'm like, God, my body has memory. I am a new creation in Christ Jesus, but my body has memory of what it used to think, do, taste, experience, all of that. So um, I just pray, Lord, that, that you would just, I feel like this is probably more than just body memory. I feel like this is the enemy trying to get me distracted because it would happen like, because I was a youth leader as well. It would happen, happen on my way to, to Friday night youth night at, at the church I went to, CCOB. Um, and then um, when I started asking the Lord, like, where did all this come from? Where have I been deceived? And the Lord started showing me, because I asked him where it all came from, and he started showing me. The memories of that was really, really hard. And I wanted to go back to my comfort zone of getting wasted and hooking up with a girl. But instead, I would lay flat. I had moved out like after about a year. You know, I owned a home with a woman that was once my girlfriend. But, you know, I, as soon as we got saved, I moved into a different room and then saved up money to go live on my own. So I'm in my apartment by myself. And I'm like, Lord, this stuff, man, these memories, this stuff this is really hard, God. Um, I'm really triggered right now, and I want to get a fix. I want to go get drunk, I want to go get high, and I want to go hook up. So I would lay flat on my floor in the living room, puddles of tears, nothing grosser than wet carpet, right? Puddles of tears, crying out, God, you know I want this. You know I want this so bad. Make me want you more. Make me want you more. Please, God, just do whatever it takes to keep me from dressing. Because I still had the old clothes in the closet. Keep me from dressing up in my dude stuff and going to the bar to hook up. And Lord, right now when I say that make me want you more than I want that, that's not what my heart says. My lips are saying, I don't want to go. Make me want you more. But my heart is saying, go. So God, will you hear the prayer of my lips instead of the prayer of my heart? And then will you make my lips and heart connect. And he did, and you know I had to do that quite a few times. And then like maybe eight years after that, I was getting a little bit older, and I was, um, you know, I was, I, I was flying for free, because as a flight attendant, you fly free. Marry me, fly free. Um, and so I wasn't working a flight, but I had gone to visit somebody. So I was on the employee bus afterwards. I'm sitting there and usually flight attendants don't want to talk to anybody because they've been talking to like a thousand strangers, strangers for the past couple of days. So everyone's quiet when you get on the employee bus. So I'm sitting down, you know, one of those sideways seats and, and she sits, this flight attendant just got off work, sits across from me and she's like, Hey, what's up? And I'm like, Oh, Hey, how you doing? And then she started talking to me and the more I'm talking at her, I'm like, Oh, that's great. She's really nice. Look at her hair. Oh. Look at her eyes. Ooh. Look at her jawline. Ooh, I like that nice square jawline. Look at her arms. Ooh, I can see. And then I'm like, oh my, and I'm sitting there thinking at the same time, like this dual thought, like, ooh, check her out. And at the same time, are you crazy? What are you doing? God, I'm sorry. And so she was talking to me and I'm checking her out. And it wasn't like, I want to go have sex with you. I started thinking, I wonder what she would be like as a girlfriend. And so I knew, obviously this was just my own self but also probably from the enemy because he's always trying to attack us because he hates us. 
So when I got to my car in the employee parking lot, I'm like, Lord, I am not starting my car. I'm not leaving this parking lot until you tell me what that was. So I sat there and I prayed and I talked and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And through sitting with the Lord, and I know it sounds crazy, but the Lord spoke to my heart because the Bible tells us that we hear our shepherd's voice. He allowed me to see that it wasn't really her that I was attracted to and her body. It was me getting older and losing parts of my athletic body that I had that was full of muscle and more square instead of shapely like a woman, um, which was still triggering me a little bit. And I was longing to have the body that she had on me. So I wasn't longing for her. I was longing for what I had lost in my body by getting older. And it was just simply from asking the Lord, what is this, God? And then asking him to make me want him more than I want that other thing. So is it safe to say you carry your cross for the rest of your life? Yeah, I don't, I don't really, I haven't had one of those like, whoo, you know, like that was gut things. Like you see somebody, it's like, oh, you're so awesome. Even if you're a jerk, you're so awesome. I want you. I haven't had that in a really long time. I think because I've gone through so much healing, um, I've allowed God to heal the deep, 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 deep wounds. And let me tell you, that is not easy. But um, if, if you're interested or to give to anybody or for yourself, I have a message that I call Reveal to Heal, that it's how the Lord brought me through that whole process. And the more he revealed stuff to me that I allowed him to get into those deep parts, which is really hard, the more he revealed things to me, the more he healed from that particular pain and the more he healed from that pain the less I looked for healing through other people and so I haven't really and now um I mean I'm to the place now I just ask the Lord help me to thrive in my femininity God you know and so I even 10 years ago I wasn't able to ask that it started off with Lord show me what it is to be a woman you know and then it moved to help me thrive in my femininity yeah anybody else have a question Mm-hmm. What would you tell um, a young person now in, you know, they, there's TikTok, there's Instagram, there's Snapchat, who's confused, but maybe doesn't have the right guidance at home. Um, you know, they're bombarded with everything mm-hmm. you know, where they're seen on their phone. Um, where would you, what would you tell them um, to go look for resources? I know, you know, maybe their parents don't go to church or something like that. Um, how would you, um, I guess, start ministering to, the, to those young people? Um, like if they're in your life, I would ask them to take, and now you have to lay your life down for this other person. Mm-hmm. Say, would you be willing to take one hour out of your evening, say like from seven to eight each night, mm-hmm. and set your phone down, turn it off, not just on vibrate, like literally turn it off, mm-hmm. like power it off. Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to do that for an hour a night and spend that time either talking to me or reading the Bible and praying and see if they're able to do that one hour a night? And I think if they spend that one hour a night consecutively over and over, the Lord will really start to do a work. Um, But there's also, um, they can go to my website. I have uh, messages for, uh, like, well, I'll have tomorrow for more, like, Uh, the body of Christ as a whole. I have messages that are directed toward youth and young adults. 
There's other ministry resources that I have on my website that they can turn to for counseling. And they're, listen, to say conversion therapy, you know what getting saved is? Conversion therapy. We go from death to life. We go from, from, from you know, darkness to light. Our eyes are open. We become new creations in, in our life. So everyone who experiences salvation experiences conversion therapy. But conversion therapy, where people are like, oh, people are, there's these, like, ministries that are, you know, giving shock treatment to gay people, thinking that that's a bunch of malarkey. There, I mean, maybe there was one or two freak things back in, like, the 60s that did that, but that doesn't really happen. It's just this media over-portrayal of, of something to push the LGBT agenda. But there are ministries that will literally sit and minister to you, not try to change anything, just sit and hear your story and ask you questions. And I have that stuff available on my website as well. But spending time with people is really one of the best things we can do to just let people know that they matter. And turn your phone off for one hour a night, just one hour, and spend that time in prayer, in the word, or talking with somebody that, that loves you because they love the Lord. Any other questions? We'll do one more questions, and then I have to be back here early in the morning for, for a long day tomorrow, so I'll do one more question and, and then um, call it a night. We good? You guys are coming back tomorrow, you guys over here? What are you doing, like sleeping bags on the, on the floor? All right, so we'll, we'll get going so you guys can get settled in, in too. But um, thank you. Uh, Pastor uh, David, do you want to like pray us out? Okay. Um, hope that was okay. I know it was long. You guys have been sitting for a while. I appreciate your attention. It's really hard as someone who, who uh, has to, to share things to to have people like not making eye contact or, or looking or seeming engaged, it makes it really hard to share. And uh, so you guys were awesome. So I really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Hey guys. Um, oh. uh, thank y'all for coming out. This is a sensitive subject. And um, we do this for love. We do this for God's love. We do this for God's truth. And um, I'm super excited tomorrow because this place is going to be packed with a lot of people, and God's going to equip us. But, but we do it because we love people, because God loves people, and he wants to see people set free and know the truth. And um, so, so thank you very much, Patty. Thanks for being willing to open yeah. up your church to talk about this stuff. Yeah, it means yeah, a lot. Yeah, Especially from someone that thought Christians hated them. Yeah, so. yeah, we don't hate no one. Yeah. You know, Christians, we're called to be compassionate, loving, caring. We don't compromise on truth, though. We speak the truth in love. We stand on the word of God. But we do it in love because Christ's love in us, Christ's love for us. So we love you guys. Uh, looking forward to tomorrow. Chick-fil-A for lunch for everyone. Y'all like Chick-fil-A? Who doesn't like Chick-fil-A? That's the chicken we want in heaven, right? <laughs> Uh, but thank you, thank you guys very much for coming out. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this night, Father. Lord, I just pray, God, that you just whet our appetites, Lord, to, God, to, to press into this subject, to, to know the truth of your word, Father. Help us to minister to those around us. And, Father, we pray for tomorrow, Lord, that you just pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord, 
that you speak mightily through Patty tomorrow, and God, that you be glorified. And we love you and we praise you, and we thank you for this evening. Give us all a good night's rest, and let our, let our bodies rest so tomorrow we can soak it all in. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.